Hey there, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and there's Jerry. Let's get to it. Why do lawyers wear wigs in Britain? Go. <laughs> you know what's funny is when I was researching this, it's really funny to me to look at modern pictures of these. And I don't want to make fun of it, but it is funny in 2019 to look at photos of barristers and judges wearing powdered wigs. Just before, let me say that out, out loud. Before, <laughs> did you just say that out loud? Like you see them outside, there's pictures of smoking a cigarette on their on their smartphone. <laughs> right. Wearing these wigs. Right, playing Pretty Candy great. Crush. <laughs> um, before we get started, though, Chuck, I want to differentiate uh, between a barrister and a solicitor, uh, which I did not know until today, actually. Oh, yeah? The difference. Yeah. I thought maybe one was like a defense attorney and one was a prosecutor like we have here in the U.S., um, that's not the case. A solicitor is like the lawyer that you go meet with outside of court uh, and maybe advises you on family and children matters or bankruptcy or divorce or something like that. And then they might negotiate contracts, that kind of thing. But then when you're in court, you're represented by a barrister, and the barrister works with the solicitor to understand your case, but it's the barrister who's petitioning the court on your behalf. So they're both working, like, for the people. They're not prosecuting somebody, but that's the difference. One of the other differences, at least one of the most obvious and apparent differences between a barrister and a solicitor, is that you don't see solicitors wearing wigs. You do see barristers wearing wigs. So that's a short stuff within a short stuff. Mm -hmm. The difference between barristers and solicitors, everybody. Mm -hmm. That's just an SS. It's so short. (laughs) So to the wigs, uh, there are a lot of reasons. They're called perukes um, that over the years, and we'll get to the whole fashion of the wigs in a minute too, but uh, there are several reasons why they wore them to begin with and why they still might wear them in certain cases. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the main reasons is to give it a, a more formal proceeding, um, a more solemn proceeding. Another big reason is it's a safeguard, almost like, and I've seen the word disguise used. It's a very bad disguise because it's just the wig. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I hadn't noticed that. But in, the, in criminal court, they uh, it supposedly lends to anonymity, these robes and wigs. So where if this criminal sees their attorney on the street six months later, they might be like, I, I don't even recognize the guy. He looks familiar, but if only he had a powdered wig on, right. I might be able to knife him in the tube. Can't quite place him. So uh, that is sort of what they represent. And um, they have been a part of the the court system over there. Um, not forever, but since what year? Uh, since 1685, at least. Yeah, previous to that, they didn't use these wigs, which is interesting. It is interesting because at the time, wigs were already all the rage in Europe and had been for a few years. But I guess the court system was like, no, we're going to not take part in this ridiculous fashion trend. And uh, I guess just uh, portraits from the early 1680s even um, just showed like people without wigs on. And then all of a sudden, bam, wigs start showing up in the portraits, and they've been there ever since, even long after wigs fell out of fashion. I mean, wigs were only fashionable for less than 100 years, actually far less than 100 years. No, about 100 years, let's say. (laughs) And And then they were gone, and the British court system, wherever it popped up around the world, um, hung on to these wigs for, oh, another like 
200, 300 years. Yeah, and they're, you know, as far as the wigs themselves, uh, you can get a little bit of variety, but it's not like you can walk in there with your uh, rainbow Afro wig. Um, John 316. <laughs> they're generally similar. Uh, barristers have, the, you know, it's a little little frizzed at the top. Uh, they have the horizontal curls on the side and in the back, and in mm-hmm. the very, very back, the, the mullet section, uh, you have <laughs> these two long strips um, below the hairline with a little looped curl. Uh, the the judges themselves have the much more ornate wigs that's more full. Um, Very long. Yeah, super long. These are the ones, you know, that's how you can tell the difference. When you see the the dude with the big, huge, full, long wig, that's a judge. When you see the little little one sitting on top, standing the, outside the courthouse <laughs> with your smartphone and your cigarette, right. that's a barrister. And the judge's wig looks very, very much like a 70s rocker hairdo, if you step back and look at it. Yeah. Like, really. I'm trying to think of who. Like, maybe like a tour manager <laughs> for Led Zeppelin or something like that. All right, maybe. Although he famously did not have long hair, but sure. Who, Phil Graham? He was bald on top. Was that his name? He was the promoter. Oh, okay. Phil Graham was. All right. He, well, <laughs> man, he used to stick people up. He would say, oh, yeah. like, if if you don't give us an extra $100,000, uh, my boys aren't going on stage, like, five minutes before they were supposed yeah, to go on he was, stage. he was pretty legendary. Piece of work. So, as far as the wigs, though, they're expensive. Um, judges can throw down about three grand on a wig. Mm-hmm. Um, the barristers may spend anywhere from 500 to to 1000 These are dollars, not pounds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're made of horse hair. Um, traditionally have always been made of horsehair if you can afford it um, just because of tradition. It's not like horsehair is some super valuable thing. But uh, some have been made through other things like goat's hair or just cotton or maybe a dead human. Or or even a live human. Uh, oh, the, sure. At, at the time, back in the day, humans would donate their long white hair, kind of like locks of love, but rather than, you know, for people who have survived cancer, it's for the um, courts. Locks of ra- law. And rather than for love, it's for money. <laughs> so it doesn't really bear that much of a resemblance, although hair was involved. But the the horse hair, it, it's like you said, it's not prized. It's just tradition. That's what they were made out of originally, and that's what they continue to be made out of. Um, but that's not to say they're just like thrown together. These are um, remarkably well-made or they're supposed to be. For for a very long time, they were, were very well-made, um, artisan-crafted wigs. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the history of these wigs mm-hmm. and why on earth they're still wearing them right after this. All right, so the history of wigs here, uh, it may surprise you to know that a big reason these wigs started to be worn is because syphilis was rampant. Yeah. It seems like everybody had syphilis. Yeah. And one of the things that can happen when you have syphilis, aside from blindness and rashes and dementia and open sores, is you can lose your hair. So what it maybe unfairly because male pattern baldness is a thing anyway. If you lost your hair and you were a prominent person, 
A lot of people probably looked at you and said, oh, well, he got syphilis. Yeah, plus at the time, long hair on men was very much in fashion. Sure. And that does not go well with syphilis if you're if you're balding. So <laughs> wigs came into play, and they might not have come into play as strongly as they did had it not been for Louis the Fourteenth, the King of France, the yeah. Sun King, who um, they believe had syphilis, uh-huh. <laughs> and he started wearing uh, wigs himself. He reigned from 1643 to 1715, and he was a huge trendsetter. So when he started wearing these powdered wigs. Everybody started wearing powdered wigs, and not just in France, and not just among his court, but in courts and the aristocracy and the upper classes of all of Europe, including in England, which was reigned by Charles II at the time, who was the uh, cousin of Louis XIV. And also maybe had syphilis. Yeah, syphilis everywhere. You get syphilis. You get syphilis. (laughs) You get syphilis. Uh, And like you said, it it spread through all of aristocracy. Finally, it fell out of fashion over time um, that, like you said, didn't— Syphilis? Well, yeah. Didn't take that long for the wigs to fall out of fashion. Would you say less than 100 years? Yeah, by by the time King George III, who was presiding over England during the American Revolution, when he was in charge, it was really just basically um, coachmen, bishops, and I believe the court— and in the 1830s, the church or the Anglican church said bishops don't need to wear those anymore. I, I don't know when coachmen stopped wearing them. But then— They're uh, probably the, like, we're with the bishops. Right. Then the courts were—they um, just kept it up from that point on. Yeah. So finally, in 2007, there was a court challenge, um, an actual, like, suit brought forward to say, can we not wear these wigs anymore? <laughs> and there was a ruling that said uh, that that technically did away with barrister wigs. But not entirely, because uh, that was only in civil court um, or appearing before the Supreme Court. But in criminal cases, they were like, keep those wigs on, everybody. And I believe they still do, right? Yeah, that's what I couldn't quite figure out. Like I read, like in this article, it says until 2011 when the practice was discontinued. Well, that was with judges. Oh, okay. All right, that makes more sense now. Barristers in 2007, judges in 2011, but I believe that in criminal cases, both barristers and judges are still required to wear wigs or else it's a real affront to the decorum of the court. Yeah, like I was reading articles from last year that talked about the fact that they were still trying to get it not mandatory for criminal cases, but I I think they are still wearing them. And it had a sweeping effect. Like everyone around the world that uh, that worked in the legal system of a country that was a former British colony, whether in Africa, whether Australia, whether Canada, were just waiting. Actually, I think Canada did away with them before. But it's like they were just waiting to pull these wigs off. Um, Jamaica got rid of theirs in 2013. Australia got rid of theirs finally in 2010. So whatever lawsuit that was in 2007, that had sweet, like literally global effects. Yeah, I mean, one of the articles I read talked about uh, in England, the heat. And they're like, in the My summertime. God, the heat. Yeah, in the summertime, these robes and these wigs, they were like, the, it's just like, it's a problem. And they should, should just file a, a petition or whatever that just says, to whom it may concern, Come on, this is ridiculous. It's 2019, the end. Yeah. (laughs) We look silly. Yeah. Although in Hong Kong, they are still with it 100% from what I understand. Yeah. So if you want to go see your uh, lawyers and your judges wearing uh, traditional wigs, 
Go to Hong Kong. I think that's the upshot of this short story. Yeah, go commit a crime in Hong Kong. There you go. Um, thanks a lot for joining us. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email. Why don't you? Send it off to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Mm-hmm.